dropping on my face. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. It's a man, it's a man, watch that. Welcome to the Matt Watch That Podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. Everyone can join in on the fun. Follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. As a quick note, the Matt Watch That podcast is off next week, but if you need a fix, subscribe to the Matt Forgot That podcast, which will be all new. Before we start... I didn't have much to speak about in the opening monologue today, so I decided to look up who was born on February 21st and talk a bit about their career. A couple of good candidates, Rue McClanahan, Alan Rickman, Kelsey Grammer, one of my dad's favorites, Mary Chapin Carpenter, but I wanted to talk about a talented actress, Tyne Daly. The beginning of her career consisted of making one-off appearances on popular series at the time, but it wasn't until her breakthrough role on Cagney and Lacey that she found success. She starred as Lacey to Sharon Gless's Cagney. The cast was rounded out by Al Waxman, John Carlin, Sidney Clute, and Martin Cove. The series ran for seven seasons from 1982 to 1988, at which Tyne won four Primetime Emmy Awards for Outstanding Lead Actress in a Drama Series, three consecutively from 1983 to 1985. Her streak was broken by co-star Sharon Gless, who would win two in a row in the same category but Tyne would have the last say, winning in 1988. Together, they won six straight Primetime Emmy Awards. In 1989, she starred in the Broadway musical Gypsy in the role of Rose and won Best Actress in a Musical at the 1990 Tony Awards. A year later, she appeared in an episode of Wings alongside her brother Tim Daly. In other familial relations, composer Mark Snow, who's most famous for his work on The X-Files, is married to her sister, Mary Glynn Daly. In 1999, she played Maxine Gray on the series Judging Amy, which would run for six seasons, 138 episodes, and win her another Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Supporting Actress in a Drama Series. In 2010, she would reunite with her Cagney and Lacey co-star, Sharon Gless, on an episode of Burn Notice. For the younger generation, you might have seen her in Spider-Man Homecoming as Marianne Hogg. Now here's a quote from her. A critic is someone who never actually goes to the battle, who yet afterwards comes out shooting the wounded. So here's a very happy birthday to Time Daly. On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of five stars. One star is Skip It. Two stars Watch at Your Own Risk. Three stars Standard Fare. Four stars Worth Checking Out. And five stars Must See. Now, if I give a title five stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or series in that genre and at that time period. So let's jump into it. These are my ruminations and observations of the movie North by Northwest from 1959. So how'd I miss it? Well, I always planned to do a Hitchcockathon and screen all the movies in his filmography, but I've just never gotten around to it. 
And when Turner Classic Movies has a marathon, I always tend to catch the ones I've seen before. Psycho, Vertigo, The Birds, Sabotage. I also wanted to see the series Alfred Hitchcock Presents, but episodes are on late at night on some local stations, and I'll be honest, I'm just too old for that. It was directed by Alfred Hitchcock. The Master of Suspense was nominated for five Best Director Academy Awards for Psycho, Rear Window, Spellbound, Lifeboat, and Rebecca. The screenplay was written by Ernest Lehman, who scribed Hello, Dolly, Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf, West Side Story, and Sabrina. This is something to look out for. Academy Award winner Martin Landau plays the role of Leonard. This would be his second feature movie credit after a small part in Porkchop Hill. Yes, that's an actual film title. So we meet Roger Thornhill, a smooth, fast-talking advertising executive. He's walking with his secretary Maggie, who's taking dictation. They hop into a cab on the way toward the plaza when he asks her to make a call to his mother to remind her that they've got theater tickets for tonight and dinner reservations for 7 o'clock at 21. Roger Thornhill is portrayed by Cary Grant, who starred in Suspicion, Charade, To Catch a Thief, and was nominated for two Best Actor in a Leading Role Academy Awards for None But the Lonely Heart and Penny Serenade. He meets up with associates at the Oak Bar for a liquid lunch when he remembers that his mother isn't at home and won't receive the message from his secretary. She's out playing bridge with her friends. He decides to send a wire instead. As the waiter is paging George Kaplan, Roger Thornhill raises his hand, summoning him. Two onlookers believe they've identified him as Kaplan, a man they're searching for. The waiter points to where Roger can send the wire, and he excuses himself from the table. As he walks to the front desk, the two onlookers intercept him. They warn him that they've got concealed weapons and abduct him into a car outside. They travel to the Townsend Estate at Glen Cove, Long Island, where we meet an unidentified man, assumed to be Mr. Townsend. He's performed by James Mason of The Verdict, Geordie Girl, and A Star is Born fame. The 1954 version. He was nominated for a Best Actor in a Supporting Role Oscar for all three films. Now, when the unidentified man addresses him as George Kaplan, Roger tells him his birth name and says his associates picked up the wrong package. Naturally, the man doesn't believe him and asks how much Roger knows of the arrangement and how he's come by this information. Otherwise, he might not survive the evening. Well, Roger doesn't take too kindly to being threatened and attempts to leave but is stopped by the associates. When they realize he's not going to cooperate, they get him drunk and attempt to drive him off a cliff. But Roger has enough bearings to recognize what's happening. He ends up escaping from the associates, but not from the long arm of the law, and he's arrested for drunk driving. The next morning, Roger explains to the court what occurred, and the judge believes it deserves further investigating. When the police arrive at the Townsend estate, there is no evidence of the events which Roger claims happened. When they ask Mrs. Townsend where her husband is, she says he's addressing the assembly at the United Nations. Well, that took a turn. Roger researches who George Kaplan is, based on the information revealed by the unidentified man. He sneaks into his hotel room and comes across a picture of said unidentified man and puts it in his pocket. Roger decides to take a trip to the United Nations and pages Mr. Townsend. He expects to see the unidentified man, but instead, the real Mr. Townsend appears. He mentions he's been staying at an apartment in Manhattan, and his estate in Glen Cove was uninhabited. 
Before Roger shows him the picture and gets to questioning him about the unidentified man, Mr. Townsend is assassinated, but it appears as if he's been stabbed by Roger. Oh boy. He goes to Grand Central Station where he sneaks onto a train to Chicago. After a brief encounter in the hallway, he strikes up a conversation with Eve Kendall in the dining car. She's played by Eva Marie Saint, known for Exodus, Moonlighting, Superman Returns, and won a Best Actress in a Supporting Role for On the Waterfront. She'll celebrate her 98th birthday on July 4th. She knows about his situation from the front pages, but promises not to say a word. She aids him to avoid the police and works to help him find George Kaplan, but she might have ulterior motives. Here's a quote without context. In the world of advertising, there is no such thing as a lie. There's only expedient exaggeration. North by Northwest is such an excellent movie, right from the beginning. Hitchcock always has interesting title sequences. In this instance, it was a series of lines that turn into a skyscraper. The credits were also at an angle that matched the frame of the building. It was designed by Saul Bass and the first feature to use moving text. The film also has the earliest cameo of the director that I've seen at 2 minutes and 10 seconds into the picture, as a commuter who missed the bus. The movie is a case of mistaken identity, which we've seen as a plot device many times before. Everyone thinks the person is crazy, and they have to go to the ends of the earth to clear their name. But there's something about the way that this film layered the plot, giving the audience enough information to keep us engrossed, yet you still feel you're not exactly sure what's going on. It was tough devising a summary because there were so many reveals, I didn't want to spoil anything. But then this would have been a very short episode. That's what makes Alfred Hitchcock an incredible director. There were some really neat shots. My favorite was from above, when Roger was running out of the United Nations building and hopping into a cab. I know there was probably trickery involved, but I'm not sure how it was done. The movie was filmed in New York City, Chicago, Los Angeles, and of course in the Black Hills of South Dakota but the infamous Mount Rushmore scene was actually filmed on a set. I don't often get nostalgic for Manhattan as much, but it was such a classy-looking city back in the 50s, and everyone was in their Sunday's best, even on a Wednesday. North by Northwest feels like the archetype for Bond movies, Bourne movies, The X-Files, any suspense thriller in the last 60 years. Now for a little trivial trivia. Future directors George A. Romero and Larry Cohen were spectators watching as scenes were being filmed at Grand Central Station in Manhattan. The cinematography was captured by Robert Burks, whose filmography includes Strangers on a Train, Rear Window, and won an Oscar for Best Cinematography Color for To Catch a Thief. It was edited by George Tomasini, who worked on Vertigo, The Time Machine, Marnie, and was nominated for Best Film Editing for this movie. The score was composed by Bernard Herrmann, who wrote the music for Citizen Kane, Taxi Driver, The Day the Earth Stood Still, and won an Academy Award for Best Music, scoring of a dramatic picture for All That Money Can Buy. He has a signature sound. If I didn't look up who was the composer, I would immediately know it was Bernard Herrmann. The runtime is 2 hours 16 minutes. For a longer movie, it never loses its pace. Within 5 to 10 minutes, we're knee-deep into the story, and it doesn't let up. It had a budget of $4.3 million and grossed $9.8 million at the box office. It was nominated for three Oscars at the 1960 Academy Awards. I give it the elusive 5 out of 5 stars.
If you've seen North by Northwest and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along. Each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there will be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. We tend to devalue older people in the United States. We put them in homes. Instead of learning from their experiences, we dismiss them with, Okay, boomer. I remember hearing a story from Billy Joel when he visited his father in Austria. They were walking around and he sees this old woman sweeping the street. And he asked his dad, Why is this nice old lady sweeping the street? And his father responded, She's got a job. She feels useful. She's happy. She's making the street clean. She's not put out to pasture. And that inspired Billy to write the song Vienna, saying you don't have to fear getting old because Vienna waits for you. I think Americans prefer to avoid old people because they don't want to be reminded of their own mortality. And as we all know, if it's not seen, it won't happen. Whereas in other cultures, the elderly are respected and embraced, cared for. It's not a hindrance. So you don't have to fear getting old. There's value in age, like wine. So when I come across videos of older people doing something extraordinary, I like to share it. Talent doesn't stop at a certain age. Now, arthritis or sciatica might slow it down a bit, but they still have passion. I'm going to post a couple of videos of grandmas playing drums. They're available in the Matt Watch That playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about you. No, not you. As in you personally. I mean the television show. You. No, not you. Ah, you get it. Based on the book series by Caroline Kepnes, it was developed by Sarah Gamble, who is a producer on Supernatural, and Greg Berlanti, who holds the record of having produced the most television series on air at once. A total of 18 during the 2019-2020 season, including The Flash, Supergirl, Legends of Tomorrow, Riverdale, The Chilling Adventures of Sabrina, and You. No, not You. Ah, you get it. The first season stars Penn Bagley, who is on the CW series Gossip Girl and the teen comedy Easy A. He's a stalker with charm who goes on a date with Beck and becomes obsessed. She's played by Elizabeth Lale of Once Upon a Time fame. Rounding out the cast are Luca Padavan, who I saw in the Broadway show's School of Rock the Musical and Marvin's Room, Zach Cherry from Crashing, and Shay Mitchell of Pretty Little Liars. It originally aired on Lifetime, but it didn't skimp on the sex and violence. It moved to Netflix for season two. The series reminds me a bit of Dexter and American Psycho. It's an acquired taste, but certainly worth the ride. A lot more thrills than you'd expect, a couple of twists and turns. I will fully admit that I haven't watched season three yet, so my opinion might change, but I'm alright with sticking my neck on the line from what I've seen so far. You has been on for three seasons, 30 episodes, from 2018 to present. The series was renewed for a fourth season and currently on Netflix. 
That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSarosky.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for all the reviews, rants, and randomness. There's only expedient... expedient. Is that even a word? In 1989, she starred in the Broadway musical Gypsy in the role of Rose and won Best Actress in a Musical at the 1920... 1920? Oof. Roger Thornhill is portrayed by Gary... Gary Kant, a slightly less famous actor. There's only expedient extravagation. Extravagation? Wow. (laughs) 